0: Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. It's 10 to 8 on October the 3rd, 2006. And I am going to talk, i will take a deep, uh, a brief break from my uh, series on full disclosures. I guess we did teachers and politicians. There's still soldiers and policemen to do, but we'll take a short break so that I don't get too horse imitating <laughs> a, um, a drill sergeant. And we'll talk a little bit... This morning, about uh, I watched a taped show from last week, last night with Christina, uh, which was a 2020 show, wherein men and women were compared in terms of uh, evolutionary, uh, sort of history, uh, brain structure, uh, you know, positive and negative uh, sorts of things, and. What happened was um, there was just this I mean certainly it was offensive I mean without a doubt it was offensive, but there was this really constant kind of <laughs> uh, like the rain you could see falling on this uh, car there was this constant drip drip of female snarky superiority in the mix and it's something that's so, so, so common in the modern world that it's almost hard for us to see it. It's just become so... Um, it's, it's like if it's raining all the time. After a while, you're like, raining? Oh, well, yeah, I, I guess it is. I haven't really noticed it. There's a, uh, a not-too-funny show up here in Canada called Corner Gas. It's a government show, and I've only watched one of them. And I'm always curious to see who from my old theater school classes in uh, uh, in shows. But um, in it, there is a. Uh, I mean, it, it's set in the prairies, uh, which, uh, if you don't know, it's like the Midwest, I guess, like flyover country in in the states. Or like if you uh, if you imagine yourself being about the size of a ten thousandth of an ant and standing on a ping pong table, you'll get a sense of the topography in the prairies. And uh, <laughs> there's a. Uh, It's about a gas station in the middle of nowhere, right? Because that's what uh, is really important in the world these days. And this uh, American, it has to be an American, right? This is just the bigotry that Canada has in this realm. An American comes up, uh, stops off to get gas and gets out, looks around and says, holy, sure is flat. And the gas station attendant turns, looks around, straightens, looks around and says, you know, you're right. I've never really noticed that before. (laughs) I think that's pretty funny. Because that is um, a lot to do with talking about family history and certain aspects of philosophy. Anyway, so uh, um, you state the obvious and people pretend to be surprised. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sure you get the idea. Uh, Sorry, I don't mean to explain jokes to a very uh, brilliant audience. (laughs) I apologize. Anyway, so... um, so, uh, this question of female superiority that... I've talked about this before, this idea that men are just broken women. And how there is this uh, really immense conflict between the genders. Which, I guess about eight eight months ago or nine months ago in a podcast series on feminism I talked about. But uh, for those who haven't heard, <laughs> I pro-women and anti-feminist. Uh, or at least certain aspects of feminism, I guess you could say. I certainly wouldn't claim to be an expert who could say I'm against it all. But I'll just sort of run through a couple of the things that were talked about uh, in this uh, very short. This was like, I guess, skipping commercials, maybe 20 minutes of uh, of stuff. But this is sort of what was uh, what was talked about. So uh, little boys are sort of genetically different. From the uh, the women, right? The little boys are di- genetically different from little girls, as we all know, by looking down when we're peeing, and hopefully, uh, if we're a woman, not standing in front of a urinal. But um, we have, you know, biological, genetic, DNA-based, hormonal, uh, neurological, and all these kinds of differences, which are evident from the very beginning, uh, from within twelve hours of life. And so, I don't believe that an enormous amount of Susan Sontag influences have affect a baby. Uh, affected a baby or I don't believe that the boy has gone to the Iron John conferences and so there's this talk about it and then uh, they start talking about the effects of these kinds of uh, hormones and you know we still have free will according to the scientists and so on but this is what they talk about they talk about boys are more aggressive right they don't say active they don't say assertive. They don't say outspoken. They say aggressive, which is a negative, a negatively connoted term. They say that girls, because they have better language skills when they're young, can negotiate and can uh, be nice and can play nicely together, can play well together, and boys are just aggressive and are pushing and shoving and, and so on, right? So... Obviously, this is not exactly a neutral kind of, of phrase, right? And, of course, the pictures really back it up, right? The, uh, uh, the, um, the little girls are walking hand in hand down a street, and the little boys are sort of pushing each other around and yelling. And, and, and boys, they say, the boys don't share. Boys don't, uh, don't get along uh, that way. They, they grab. They want to hang on to stuff. They, you know, all this kind of stuff. So here you have this just unbelievable bias about, about all of this kind of stuff. And, of course, an unbelievable blindness to what is actually going on for little girls in the world. And uh, I <laughs> I'm just thinking how on earth I can claim to speak with authority about the world of little girls. But uh, I actually have done an enormous amount of research on that for my last book, The God of Atheists, wherein uh, the two primary characters are little girls. So I've done quite a few interviews with little girls, and I know that that sounds a little weird. I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with that. But uh, there were always adults present. It was in a closely supervised <laughs> environment. But, um, uh, so, yeah, so, you know, g- girls are nice. You know, it's, it's the old thing, right? Uh, um, sugar and spice and all things nice, that's what girls are made of. Uh, boys are like snails and something, something, and puppy dog tails and all these horrible things, right? So then um, the, the, uh, the thing switches to uh, ma- uh, boys don't listen right Girls listen, right? So there's this woman who says, "Well, yeah, we've done experiments. and we have put uh, little boys in a room and we've said, "Don't touch this thing." and we close the door and immediately they all go over to touch it. And we uh, put um, little girls into that same room, and we say, "Don't touch that thing." And then the little girls, we'll stop, we'll turn back, we'll look at their mom, we'll do this, we'll do that, and we'll not go and touch whatever it is that they're told not to touch. Now, instead of saying, well, that's pretty cool, and you have to admire the independent thought of the boys, right? I mean, if you said it was a burning fire spitting acid, uh, then the boys would not go and touch it, or at least not more than a tiny little bit. Right, so the fact that the, um, somebody on authority says don't touch something and the boys go and touch it is sort of why we have science, right? You, you don't talk about that independence, right? Instead of just saying, oh, the priest says that the world is flat so the world is flat, the boys want to go and test the theory out for themselves, right? No, th- that's not talked about, right? You, you don't talk about the upside of not being a slave to everything that somebody on authority says like the fearful and terrified and uh, unbonded little girls who are like, oh, well, mommy said I can't touch it, so I really can't touch it. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course, except, you know, from a male perspective, that could be called pretty weenie, pretty dependent, pretty, you know, it's a little sad, in my opinion, uh, to not uh, go and touch something that looks perfectly safe just because somebody in authority says, don't touch it. Now, I certainly do understand that it's more convenient for someone in authority if you have a slave, right? I mean, and this is sort of, uh... you can call this nice and you know perhaps you don't like the fact that i'm calling girls slaves and it certainly isn't the case that they are slaves if it's all genetic but i certainly do understand that if you're in authority what you want is for people to just obey you because you say it right you don't want the. i mean if you're not in positive authority like if you're not in honest helpful uh, mentoring style of authority i mean if you're uh, i mean for me not that i'm in any real position of authority but if i mean as far as this podcast goes but i certainly want people to think for themselves i certainly want people to correct me when i make mistakes i certainly want people watching my back when it comes to truth and falsehood. because i'm not invested in what i say i'm invested in what is true and to the degree to which what i say is true fantastic but i definitely want people to question if i say don't touch this and that's irrational I want people to instantly jump back at me nicely or not nicely doesn't really matter to me and say this is not the case whereas if I am saying to people I don't want you to touch this and I'm heavily invested in them not touching it not being true or being a wise and, and benevolent and helpful and stimulating uh, leader of your children then of course I'm going to just want like if I say to children we have to go to Sunday school right? And, then the girls are going to okay well I'll get my pretty dress on and the boys are going to be like, why? And, you know, that why is the foundation of the civilization that protects women, right? I mean, that's, that's what's kind of funny, sort of, in general, right? I mean, that, um, <laughs> that uh, um, women, uh, you know, have a lot of women will sort of put down masculinity because masculinity has already gone out and achieved a civilization that protects women. And... Uh, if only they'd get married to decent guys, they'd be more, almost completely protected. I mean, women, uh, uh, you hear a lot about female abuse and rape and so on. This is almost always occurring outside of marriage. This picture that feminists paint of marriage as a hellhole of abuse and of this free, independent woman who leaves her husband and goes and does sculpture in a loft downtown and meets the sensitive, semi-gay sculptor to have an affair. I mean, that's all nonsense. And women face a great degree of danger. Uh, both sexually and in terms of violence, uh, both emotional and physical, when they're not in stable marriages, right? I mean, this is... Uh, uh, you can just <laughs> look it up. <laughs> anyway, so, of course, then it it cuts to a woman who says, you know, uh, my my son just doesn't listen to me. He just doesn't listen. I say to him ten times, please do X, please do X, and he just... He doesn't even look up. He doesn't respect me. Now, the inside I can't remember if she said she doesn't respect me. I, I don't think she said he doesn't respect me, but uh, she said, you know, all the, he doesn't listen, doesn't listen. But definitely, you definitely get uh, from what she's saying. There's an exasperation, and uh, she's uh, frustrated that he won't listen to her. Now, the very interesting thing about this, of course, is that if I came on a podcast and said... You know what really bugs me? My stupid wife doesn't respect me. How would that work for you in terms of processing? Would you say, yeah, you know, that's, that's a real shame. You know, I, I feel for you, brother. Your stupid wife doesn't respect you. And that's, uh, boy, that's, that's terrible. How, how, how awful for you. How bad of her. Right? First of all, I chose my wife and so if i call her stupid it doesn't say a whole lot about me actually it does say a whole lot about me but more importantly how can i ask respect from someone when i'm not willing to give it to them right if you know the, you know that old adage if you want to be if you want to have a friend be a friend if you want to have a good wife be a good husband i mean i believe all of that stuff i mean i'm not saying that you control other people with your behavior otherwise my donations would be greater but it does mean that um, uh, the best chance that you have of achieving what you want in a relationship is to provide what you want. And the best, I mean, for, this is sort of what I'm doing. I grew up in an irrational family and in an irrational culture. And so I'm trying to provide to, uh, to others what was not provided to me. And that's, I think, a good thing to do with harm that's inflicted upon you is to uh, turn it into something quite, quite the opposite. So if I say my stupid wife doesn't respect me, you kind of get in your gut that this is not a, uh, uh, a productive uh, perspective and it's not an honest perspective. And what I would say to somebody who said that is, uh, first of all, calling your wife stupid is like uh, uh, poking yourself in the forehead with a fork and saying that uh, uh, I'm hurting somebody else. That really doesn't, uh, doesn't work. And I mean, the funny. Verbally, we can we can we can only hurt ourselves verbally. Physically, sure, we can hurt other people, but verbally, we only humiliate ourselves fundamentally. But with adults, again, children are always the exception. But uh... uh and I would say, uh, do you respect your wife? Well, I would res- I would respect her if she respected me. It's like, well, uh, that's never going to work. Like, <laughs> it's never going to work. So this woman who's saying, well, my son, he just won't listen to me. I say to him ten times over and over and over, and he doesn't listen to me, and he doesn't look... Well, of course he doesn't listen to you, woman, (laughs) because you don't respect him. Because you've got this story going about how he's a boy, and he's not as convenient for you as your compliant daughters. I mean, please. (laughs) He's not here to be convenient for you. A boy is not there to be convenient to the motheress. The mothers prefer the little girls because the little girls are easily controllable, or far more easily controllable. And the little boys are not. The little boys are demanding. They can be assertive. They can be uh, They can uh, be questioning. Uh, they are physically uh, very uh, forward, and uh, they don't accept things that people in authority say just because people in authority say them. That is an essential, essential a part of the gadfly syndrome that society needs to stay honest is to have large swathes of people not believing anything that people in power say. And, of course, this is one of the reasons why mothers aren't too sad to hand over their, quote, rebellious little boys to the public school system so the little boys can get crushed into a compliance that equates to what goes on for little girls. Of course, little girls aren't nearly as hurt by compliance as little boys are for reasons of genetics. And sort of the base nature and difference between masculinity and femininity. So there was that. Then there was all this stuff about teenagers, right? So uh, teenage, uh, uh, teenage boys, of course, the old saw is trotted out. And I'm going to look it up. It seems like a myth to me. but it certainly doesn't seem to be true, but it could be, could be the case. But um, this old saw is trotted out about how in uh, the teenage years, sort of 12, 13, 14, early teen years, the tween years, that boys are sort of one and a half to two years further retarded to girls, right? That their uh, language skills and social skills, they they didn't go into a whole lot of criteria. But I've heard this sort of stuff before, that boys are just way further back than girls. And then there was this pretty snarky researcher who's uh, got a PhD in neuroscience or something like that. This woman sitting there, kind of with that slight church lady smirk on her face, and of course, inevitably, right, the uh, the female interviewer asked, with a smirk on her face, "Well, um, how is uh, when is it that uh, the boys catch up?" And, of course, the the researcher says, well, you know, there are lots of jokes about that, but, you know, roughly towards the later teens that the boys catch up. And that, to me, is quite interesting, right? (laughs) So at one point, let's just say that there's a cognitive deficit on the male part, uh, although, of course, they don't talk anything about the physical growth of the men at this point, which is prodigious. I mean, I was a fairly scrawny kid. And uh, the creaking and groaning of my body doubling or tripling in size was fairly considerable. <laughs> and so they don't talk anything about the um, the fact that uh, the men have a far greater degree of growth to go through in terms of physicality, which is what women need to protect them and to get food, sort of in the biological sense. And so maybe uh, the uh, glandular system uh, can't do both at once, can't grow both the brain prodigiously and the body prodigiously. And given that. The girls' bodies don't grow nearly as much as the men. This is why the body focuses on growing. The body saying, "Hey, you know, I'll get the brain later." They also don't talk about how, if the bo- if the boys catch up, despite a lag, then the boys have the capacity. The boys' brain has the capacity to grow faster than the girls' brain. Just sort of logically, that would be the case. But what they didn't talk about was um, at what point do um, do the male does the male brain overtake the female brain? Right, they say, when does it catch up? Right, like there's this whole thing about you know the girl, girl is good, uh, boy is bad, uh, and uh, you know boy is boy is broken, girl, and the best and boy is deficient and boy lags, and the best thing that boy can do is catch up to girl eventually, which doesn't explain, of course, the basic fact, which I don't claim to have a significant explanation for either, but the, it is a significant fact that the top uh, the top 500 people in just about every science uh, are men. And there's never been a great female guitarist. (laughs) But uh, the top, uh, top musicians, top philosophers, top economists, top physicists, and so on, are almost all men. And if they're women, they're certainly not traditional women. And by that, I mean women who get married and have children. There's nothing wrong with doing that or not doing that. I'm just sort of pointing it out. That the degree to which women approach male excellence in thought is the degree to which they are not what we would think of as traditional women or traditional women's activities. In other words, it could be said that the degree to which women imitate men or have male aspects to their uh, brains is the degree to which they exceed and excel in, um, uh, in particular fields of, uh, of thought. Now, I'm perfectly aware that uh, this is not to say that men as a whole are more intelligent than women as a whole. I certainly have no idea about that. But I will say this, that I'm perfectly uh, uh, aware of the information or the statistics that uh, as far as intelligence distribution among the genders goes, the distribution of intelligence along the male spectrum is, um, is flatter. Right. So women's intelligence t- tends to cluster around the average with fewer uh, sub- suboptimal intelligences and fewer exceptionally high intelligences. Whereas men uh, have uh, a greater degree of low intelligence and a greater degree of high intelligence. So, for the women's bell curve, it's a bit more like a shark's tooth, and for the male bell curve, it's a bit more like a gently rolling hill. So, uh, there is a risk uh, having a, a male brain. There is a risk associated with that, and the risk is you're going to be, you have a high, much higher chance of being either really smart or uh, really not so smart. And so, I'm aware of all of that. But uh, it certainly does say something very intellig- uh, very uh, important about the uh, kind of, you know, like if you let me try this as a metaphor. If you want to grow your muscles very quickly, then you take steroids, and steroids will cause your muscles to grow very quickly. But you have a problem, uh, which is uh, a potential problem. It's not all the time, but a potential problem called "roid rage," where you get uh, a very, uh, you have a problem with uh, anger right, when you take a lot of steroids so what happens is as you bulk up your as you take the hormones that bulk up your system there's a possibility for instability and deficiency and i would say that what this means is that there's an enormous amount of hormonal activity to stimulate the male mind and sort of like uh, when they're making central processing units for computers they make a whole bunch and some of them work and some of them work at different speeds and that's how they and they aim them all to be really fast but some of them only work at certain speeds and so I would say that in the male brain, much more so we get a growth hormone in the brain uh, to cause further splitting of neurons, and sometimes that breaks the brain, and sometimes it makes a really great brain, or a really smart brain. And that's, I mean, that's a metaphor, and certainly you can take that with an entire grain of salt. But similar to the way that uh, steroids bulk muscles but causes instability, I would say that the male brain uh, has the same sort of growth hormones that are not present in the female brain, or at least not as present, and that would sort of be a rough metaphorical explanation of how to look at it. But of course, that's not talked about. You don't hear much about how you don't hear much about how women aren't present in the fields of uh, excellence, or high up in the fields of excellence. But you will, uh, if you do hear about it, it will be. And this could be evidence of sexism, right? I mean, that's what you, you don't hear that in terms of boys being roughhousing, right? You don't say that uh, boys uh, who are who don't listen, right? The woman who says, uh, my son, he just won't listen to me. He just won't listen to me. You don't hear her say, and that's because he's been conditioned. And he's like, she's irritated and frustrated with him. He just is the way he is, right? So whenever there's a deficiency, it is ascribed to masculinity, uh, and it is uh, something that is um, a bad thing to be frustrated at, right? This is the sort of determinist paradox that we were working, at least I was railing against a couple of months ago. So, whenever there is a plus, then it is considered to be femininity, and it is considered to be nice and positive. Now, whenever there is a deficiency, this is the contrary state, right? Whenever there is a deficiency uh, in the male, then it is chalked up to masculinity, and whenever there is a deficiency in the female relative to the male, it's chalked up to sexism. I mean, this is the sort of closed-loop system that simply can't accept any kind of rational... Um, uh, correction, right, because it has it's like certain aspects of the Freudian sort of uh, idea of the mind that it simply can't accept correction because evidence for is evidence for and evidence against is evidence against right, so as I mentioned before, in the Freudian system you have, if a particular trait is present, like an eatable complex then uh, it's proven, the theory is proven, and if it is um, sorry, just checking uh, some flashing lights ahead if the um, eatable yeah, uh, uh, complex is present, then the theory is proven. If the eatable complex is not present, then it is repressed. And if the opposite is present, then it's a reaction formation. right? So, uh, and I have a good deal of respect for certain aspects of the Freudian theory, but in this particular way, there's no way out of the room. And it's the same thing where uh, you have this uh, sort of... As- uh, uh, in how certain aspects are ascribed to, uh, to men and women, and uh, the the judgments that are sort of placed on them. And then uh, she moved on to these sort of teenagers things, and of course boys think about sex every 50 seconds, and girls think about it, she said, a couple of times a day. I mean, that's just so not true. That's just hilarious. And it is only a kind of blinkered ideology that would let you believe that boys are thinking about sex once a minute when they're going through their rampant hormonal stage. Because the great thing about uh, life as you get older as a male is it goes from a minute to, oh, jeez, 1.0001 0001 minutes, which is, you know, quite a relief. And you get to concentrate on some other stuff. But that's just kind of funny, right? I mean, the, uh, boys uh, talk about how much they think about sex. Uh, girls, uh, of course, it's not nice to think about sex. I mean, it's still there's a lot of Victorian nonsense about female sexuality, which is as robust and as imaginative and as uh, joyful and as... Uh, uh, exciting as male sexuality. It's just that, you know, women aren't supposed to talk about it. So, of course, the women, oh, I only think about sex maybe a few times a day, right? I mean, there's no... uh, The word doesn't show up on the uh, CAT scan, (laughs) sex. So, of course, you have to rely on self-reporting. And uh, the boys are just being more honest, right? It's like how uh, it's considered that uh, men cheat more than uh, women. uh, And, uh, of course, the gap is closing, and that's only because... Women are being more honest about it. I mean, men aren't often cheating with, um, you know, warmed-up watermelon. They're cheating with women, and uh, so uh, it's just kind of funny. This is just a kind of ideology where you would take at face value uh, the self-reporting of women who are going through the same hormonal, massive, tsunami-like stimulation of their uh, uh, sexual uh, organs and their 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 minds and their bodies. Uh, oh yeah, no, just a couple of times a day. <laughs> Absolutely, that's just hilarious. Uh, This is like the women say, oh, no, women don't masturbate. They just take a long time in the shower because they've got to work the conditioner out of their hair. So then they talk about, um, uh, why is it that women, uh, they ask questions, right? So um, then they start to talk about language use, right? So uh, women uh, use 20,000 words a day. Uh, Men use 7,000 words a day. And the women are sort of... uh, um, uh, the girls are talking about this. Like they say that, uh, oh yeah, you know the the girls. We're you know we'll get together, we'll talk, we're all chatty, we're all this or that, we're all girly. And the the boys are like, hey, what's up? <laughs> and that's all they say. And that's kind of funny. That's I'm, obviously you can imagine that wasn't my experience as a um, as a uh, as a young gentleman. But uh, it obviously is uh, something that's believed to be true, and it se- seems to be certain statistical evidence. I have no idea how they collected 20,000 versus 7,000 but uh, you know to some degree the question is what's appropriate right i mean if i say i mow the lawn once every two weeks then that may be considered appropriate if it's not rained all the time if i say i mow the lawn every day then that's probably a little obsessive compulsive so when, in terms of language to, uh, present show accepted more is not always better right i mean it has to be uh, something that is appropriate to the situation at hand And I certainly have uh, spent uh, fairly decent portions of my life uh, trapped with endless and convoluted stories uh, that are told by women, that could be told in a a singularly more concise manner. So um, uh, that is, and I very rarely have that. The one thing I think that's true with um, with, uh, men uh, that uh, sharpens language use is that uh, I know this to be, and maybe this is a younger sibling thing, but I certainly know this, uh, feel this very vividly to be the case. It doesn't mean that it's true. It just, it's just my, my experience. Maybe you feel the same. But boys have a very high bar for having the spotlight in terms of language. right? So I, I certainly spent my teen years, and I wrote about this uh, in the entertainment group that I talk about in uh, The God of Atheists. I spent my teen years in the company of people who had... Uh, significant wit. Uh, They had uh, uh, incredible humor and were just, oh man, I mean, boy, the verbal acuity. uh, I can't even approach it when it comes to that kind of riffing on a joke. But um, uh, it was very hard to get their attention because everybody was so quick and everybody was so funny. And my brother certainly fell into this category. It was very hard to get and keep uh, other uh, young men's attention, or boys' attention. If you were going to tell a story, it better be a damn good story, and it better be really a told with great animation and so on. Because otherwise, um, people just wouldn't... Uh, they, you, you'd lose them, right? Like You'd lose them as an audience. So that was a, uh, a pretty significant kind of uh, uh, sensei swordmaster training camp for verbal skills and verbal acuity and storytelling and keeping people's interest and so on, which obviously I think has served me, if not you, well in these podcasts and the videocasts. So I think that boys will signal boredom and wander away and say, oh man, like let's snap it up a little here. You know, let's go, oh man. Or, or they'll just sort of interrupt with a better story and because they have a better story or something more interesting to say then uh, you will lose your, and it's a little humiliating, right? You'll lose your, you want to tell this story, or you want to get this idea across, and somebody will say something when you take a pause. If people's interests aren't uh, with you as much as you want, then people, another guy, will make a joke, or will say something funny, or will start in on a story. Hey, you know, that really reminds me of blah, blah, blah. And yes, a lot of these stories are silly, and a lot of them are I was so drunk, that stories, and so on, but it really does give you uh, a uh, fairly high bar to get over in terms of keeping people's attention. So um, that's something, I don't really see that happening with women. I don't see women interrupting each other except to agree and to ask for more details and so on. Uh, and so I think that women don't get the same kind of uh, honing that goes on. In a sense, <laughs> you know, <laughs> women have all the efficiency of a state-sponsored corporation. Whereas uh, the the male male use of language is very um, uh, it's subject to a high efficiency curve because uh, uh, there is a significant degree of competition that is really out there. Whereas female conversation is a little bit more in the highly protected, tariff encircled mercantilist world. So there's just not as much efficiency. Now that may or may not be true. This is just sort of my experience based on what I've seen uh, among women uh, in those movies that I rented when I was a bachelor and also what I have uh, experienced and seen among uh, men. So uh, that's something that uh, I think may have an effect on why men use uh, fewer, uh, fewer words than women. There just may be an efficiency principle at work here. And then uh, they start talking about that uh, when women uh, get together, they get uh, a rush, a hormone, a feel-good hormone, sort of rushes out So, why do women go to bathrooms together so they can be together so they can chat and check out their hair and obsess about their appearance and so on and this um, is partly uh, uh, they're a bunch of junkies looking for a fix of this uh, feel-good hormone I can't remember the name and this uh, is uh, sort of why they get together and and so on now of course they don't mention whether men get this at all when men get together and play sports I would imagine that when men get together and play sports, which is, you know, to some degree, uh, like you don't see a bunch of women get to get together for a squash and a drink, right? I mean, they'll sort of get together for an indeterminate amount of time to, bring, uh, to drink uh, tea. But um, uh, when men get together and, and play sports, uh, the endorphin rush um, is pretty, uh, I certainly know, is a fantastic feeling. And so they'll just talk about sort of what it is that defines women and, you know, its intimacy and its hugging and its touching and so on. And uh, teaching each other the French kiss. No, wait. No, that's, sorry, that's the parallel fantasy bachelor universe. Um, we're back. I never quite leave. But we're mostly back. And so from that standpoint, uh, of course, the women come across as, you know, well, we get all these lovely hormones from breastfeeding and, and hugging and touching and, and, and being intimate and so on, and that's, you know, we, we like that fix. So that's what we do. And that is something that uh, there's no male equivalent, right? male are just sort of pimply and scratchy and vaguely smelly and obsessed with sex and retarded, and you know this is sort of the the uh, the statement that that comes across. And it's so um, Christina, who is normally uh, very acute and uh, very cute, uh, very acute, but this stuff didn't get it at all, right? I was saying, oh man, that was so biased, I can't even tell you. She's like, really? I thought it was a little bit more balanced. I didn't get that so much. And I said, okay, well there's this, and then there's this, and then there's this, and then there's this, and it's amazing. How um, how much you can pack, how much uh, sort of bigotry and prejudice you can pack into, you know, 20 minutes of video. Both the images and the, um, you know, they show images of guys angry and women breastfeeding, right? I mean, this is like, this, I mean, it's constant, right, that men are uh, unstable and retarded. And even the guys are bad this way, right? So there were these male sex researchers or gender researchers who were saying that, you um, uh, that men are disposable, right? That men are basically sperm donators or sperm dispensing units and that they're completely disposable and that's one of the reasons why nature kills off men with heart disease uh, quicker than uh, women, right? I think women live on average seven years longer. And, um, of course, they also said that this might be because men in traffic uh, get very angry and they showed all these pictures of men being angry in traffic and so on. And... So of course it's you know <laughs> it's both genetic and men's fault, right? Which is sort of what the, the dual message is, where anything that's genetic for women is uh, not their fault or the result of sexism. But um, for the men, there is this um, uh, this issue uh, that they die younger. So the men, the male sort of gender researchers say, oh well, it's because we're mere sperm dispensers and serve no further utility afterwards. And again, this is just something like if you don't if you don't uh, understand just what sort of anti-male prejudice is out there it's very very hard to uh, to really get a sort of clear picture of just how terrifying and awful this is it's not terrifying and awful for me as an adult but holy crap you know this is the stuff that our sons are uh, are stuck with in um, in uh, public school uh, constantly right i mean this is one of the problems why boys go uh, a little bit more haywire Is because, well, first of all, they're crammed in these girly-girly curriculums and are not allowed to read adventure stories with men uh, as the heroes. They're stuck in these girly-girly curriculum, and that's uh, a real uh, problem for boys. And uh, there's not as much competition. There's just not as much as the stuff that really gets boys motivated and interested uh, to learn. And we'll talk about the curriculum another time. I sort of don't want to get into a whole discussion about this. But the fact that boys are lagging up to two years in terms of reading skills... um, I mean, it's a couple of reasons. I'll oh, well, just to preface the next podcast, or so, just in case I forget. Um, because girls generally are more compliant and listen to verbal instructions and obey authority more. Of course, they want to turn boys into girls because it's much more convenient for the public school teachers, right? For the state teachers, it's much more convenient if they have these compliant and fearful little girls rather these rambunctious and disrespectful, for good reason, little boys. So, of course, right? I mean, that's one of the main reasons why the standard has become the feminine, because the feminine is the more convenient to those in power. So, anyway, I'm going to sort of talk about that uh, another time. But, um oh, crap. Oh, sometimes I can bridge the tensions, and sometimes I just got... <laughs> See, all the masculinity that's involved in that. It's a very confident man who can do that kind of pathetic whining, don't you think? <laughs> anyway, where the hell was I? something to do with men and their capacities to concentrate and the power of concentration something something um... oh yes okay so uh, so uh, boys um, uh, in school uh, you know stuck in this girly girly curriculum and uh, they uh, incredibly bored right I mean uh, boredom is the great problem of school particularly for men and so if you don't see this kind of stuff uh... then uh, it's very hard to to really forget it emotionally just how much bigotry prejudice and hostility there is out there uh... from women and from some men towards the idea of masculinity and one of the ways that you can see this is these you know very educated phd researchers say men are uh, sperm dispensers and that's about it and that's the the value. After they've impregnated the woman, they have no further utility. Now that may be a popular in this sort of you know uh, in the way that insulting blacks is popular in a racist society. Uh, there is a uh, certain popularity of this, and of course human beings are terrible conformists in many ways. Without philosophy, they'll simply do whatever the majority perceives to be right, and the majority in academia is anti-masculine for a variety of reasons. And so these guys will say, yeah, men have no further utility after they've impregnated the woman. And, of course, all you have to do is look at the statistics. Again, you don't have to take my opinion. Just look at the statistics of what happens to uh, girls who are not raised by fathers, right? I mean, the, the teen pregnancy, the delinquency, the, the marks, the, the, the capacity to go to university and all these sorts of things. All of that is enormously crippled. Uh, their re- future relationships with men, uh, their you know the quality of their boyfriends, all of that is enormously crippled in the absence of a, uh, a father. Uh, women uh, do better, girls do better when there's a father around. This is not uh, anything too controversial because it's based on facts. It's only controversial because there's an enormous amount of anti-male prejudice that says that men are sort of useless and blah, 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 blah. So uh, we'll continue this this afternoon. I sort of want to talk a little bit about uh, the harm that this does to women, right? I certainly don't want to uh, say to women, you're bad. for. I mean, this is just prejudice that is pumped out from the academia or from the intellectuals. And... I wonder. I wonder if I've got sound here or not. I'm going to stop here, uh, but we'll pick it up this afternoon.